morning, Coastal. Man, I am thrilled to worship the Lord with you. If you have your Bible, get it out. Turn with me to James chapter 1 and get your note sheet out. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, uh, do me a favor. There's probably one in a chair in front of you, so you can you certainly use that for the service. But if you don't own one, take that one with you, okay? We would love for you to have a copy uh, of the Word of God, especially if you'll read it on a regular basis. We just know that it will change you. Uh, while you're kind of getting all that, a couple quick announcements, and I need these put up because I always forget now. I'm getting old. Okay, here we go. Tonight, uh, picnic in Williamsburg. Picnic and prayer in Williamsburg. So uh, I just want you guys know this if you've been coming for any length of time. We're praying. We're in prayer mode right now about launching a campus in Williamsburg. We have Lots and lots of people coming from Williamsburg. What we don't have is the resourcing that we need. So we're just starting with some prayer, right? And you, can, you certainly don't have to come to the picnic to pray, but be praying. We believe that the Lord is leading us in this direction. It's just a matter of timing and when he has us do it. Uh, but tonight at 5, if you live in Williamsburg, you want to meet some other Williamsburg folks from the Yorktown campus, we will be there. It's at Wellsingham, which is the uh, school up there, and we want you to attend 5 o'clock tonight. Picnic first, then some prayer time. Secondly, LVR, students, if you're not yet signed up for our camp, parents, if you haven't signed your kids up, incredible camp. I think we've extended the early bird special uh, for another week or so, and uh, they are going to have an incredible time. So it's June 20th to 25th. Sign up, go, incredible. All right, and then the third thing is we have our food pantry this week, and so uh, Dave, I saw you sitting there. Uh, I don't say thank you enough. Thank you for all you do to run this incredible ministry. Dave Kennedy does a great job. And, um, but always can use volunteers. Friday night, you kind of get the food ready. Saturday, they distribute it. If you've never been before, it's so easy. There's so many places to serve. Just you come, you and your spouse, you and your family, you and your small group, whatever, and uh, they will plug you in and you can serve, and it's incredible. So uh, this morning, let's pick up in James. So I'm going to dive in. A couple weeks ago, I was talking to a church member that was uh, taking a trip uh, to a foreign country, and they were just a little nervous. They had never traveled in internationally before, and uh, of course, with all this going on in the world, they had some nerves, and they were just telling me about it, and they were really concerned. And so I just looked at them and I said, um, it, it'll work out, or it won't, and, uh, and I wonder why people don't come to me for counseling. Um, but the truth be told, like, as Christians, indeed, we know it actually does work out, 100% of the time for a believer, Amen? Amen? Romans 8, 28 tells us that, all things work together for good, those who are called to by God and live according to his purposes, right? It works out for good. The question is not if it will work out for good. The question is the timing of it, right? It might be here on the planet, and it might be during your lifetime, but maybe not. But it will certainly work out for good for all of eternity. And so as Christians, when we become a follower of Christ, we adopt a whole different worldview and so this 70 or 80 years that are in and out of trials and difficulties, we can know that even in trial and even in difficulty, it will work out for good. It will bring glory to God. It will develop in us Christ-like character. And so we live life with a much bigger perspective. And so for the summer, we're going to be doing the book of James. James was written by the half-brother of Jesus. He was the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And, uh, and the church was being persecuted, and they're dispersing uh, all over the known world at the time to run away from persecution. So think about, like, Ukrainian refugees. Like, that's very much 
what, what, what it would have been like to be a follower of Jesus in the first century. And so James is writing this very practical book. It's very much, some people call it the Proverbs of the New Testament, very practical wisdom book about how to live in the midst of difficulty. So with that in mind, let's jump in. Here we go. Let's read the first, I'll read the first four verses together and then we'll draw out a couple points that I think will encourage you. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Uh, pastor Warren Wearsby, who's a famous pastor and author, he's now with the Lord, he said this about these verses in James, I really love this, he says, our values determine our evaluations. So in other words, you're in, a, you're in a trial. How you evaluate that trial has everything to do with what you actually value. If you value comfort more than character, then trials will upset you. If you value material and physical more than spiritual, we will then not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter and not better. Yeah, I think that's really wise, right? And so like a practical piece this morning is I, I want you to walk out of here this morning as you worship Christ, as you, you know, we sang, uh, you know, that Christ would be glorified in everything that we do, uh, that you, as you face trials and you will face trials, that you would face those trials with the expectation that it's doing something to mold you and shape you more into the image of Christ. Christ will supply what you need to get through it, and, and you will develop, and you will do so with an eternal perspective. So here we go. Let me pull out a couple points this morning. First thing I want to pull out is, the, is how James addresses the book. I think this is really fascinating. James 1, uh, the first verse, James says this. He says, James, and this is your blank, is a servant of God. That's how he addresses himself. I think that's a pretty fascinating address because James could have referred to himself uh, in many other ways, if you've ever been to like a conference or something and they, uh, they announce the speaker, they always announce all their credibility, you know, all their degrees and letters behind their name and all that stuff. But James, instead of doing that, and by the way, what could have been some of the letters behind James's name? Like he could have said, James, the son of Mary, right? Ma Mary was highlighted uh, in the gospels as Someone that was a follower of Jesus because said, I'm James, I'm her son. I'm the son of Mary. Could have said, James, the half-brother of Jesus. Like, that certainly would have given him street cred. He could have said, James, the head of the Jerusalem church. And, in fact, I would encourage you as, we're read, as you're reading through the book of James uh, to slide over and read Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 is a fascinating teaching in the early church where the early church is having a theological fight, a theological disagreement. And so they gather at this thing called the Jerusalem Council, the elders, the apostles, there's a lot of heavy hitters there. And ultimately it is James who has final say as the head of that local church, like this is how we're going to do this. And then it seemed good to everybody, the elders, the apostles, and they move forward. But James leads, he could have said, James, I'm the one that 
took care of the theological debate in, in, in Acts 15, right? The head of the Jerusalem church. James could have said, I'm the one who had an, a personal appearance by the risen Christ. We see this in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul writes, he appeared also to James. Like, he got a personal, one-on-one -on -one, uh, 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 experience with the risen Christ. And he could have started his letter that way. But instead, what James does is he calls himself literally a bondservant. He is that is the word for slave. He literally says, James, a slave to Jesus Christ. And this reminds us of his humility, right? And so if we're going to go through trials and difficulties and count it as joy, the only way we're going to do that is if we have an, the in our hearts posture, I am a humble servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm owed nothing, and, and, what, and, and the Lord can use my life and my circumstances however the Lord chooses. And we humble ourselves with a humble heart posture in our own minds. Too many of us, self-included, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought, right? And, and we need a humble posture. Otherwise, you're going to see a trial as an inconvenience to what you're actually owed. Fascinating, right? And so we need a humble posture. I would encourage you to see yourself. Put your name in there. Sean, a bondservant to Jesus Christ. Like, that changes the, your entire perspective. And so I think James is leading us in how to think about ourselves in the midst of a trial. Number two. Now we're going to go to verse two, and I'm actually going to work backwards on verse two. So the second point this morning. When you meet various trials, verse 2, when you meet various trials. So James 1, 2 says, count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, various trials. These are, so I, I love that language because it reminds us that there are difficulties that are common to us all, okay? Now your trials might not be the same as my trials, might not be the same as someone else's trials, but they're, he, he's, he's using language that, that says, man, we're all going to go through various and differing kinds of trials. Listen, the world you live in is fallen and sinful and broken, and, and you're either just coming out of a trial, you're in the middle of a trial, you're about to go into a trial, right? Welcome to Coastal. I hope you feel encouraged. Like, they're coming, right? They, and you, you live a couple years, you know that to be true. So maybe your trial is, is, is stress and anxiety, and you struggle with, man, how do I deal with with anxiety as I walk with the Lord. We, maybe it's just law. You just have had a loss, right? Maybe you had a financial loss. Maybe you're here this morning and your trial is a financial difficulty. And, and every time the car breaks down, it's like, man, how am I going to handle this? Or maybe you're here this morning and it's a health concern, right? You, your doctor told you you have cancer or something else and you're battling a, a health concern. Maybe you're here this morning and, and so many of your close relationships are broken with your children, with your spouse, with your parents, you know, or whatever. And you just wonder, like, why do I have so many broken relationships? Maybe your trial and test is your job. It's just super stressful, right? And, and by the way, Genesis 3 reminds us that uh, as part of the curse, remember when Adam and Eve sinned, and, and there was work in the garden. They had work to do, but I suspect it was super rewarding and, and produced lots and lots. And then when the sin entered the world, God cursed work. And he, he said, you know, now 
Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to work, and it's going to produce thorns and thistles, right? And so, listen, I, listen I, I have a Christian cuss word, all right? I'm going to give it to you. Every time I'm having a bad day, I just go, thorns and thistles, right? Just, it, you feel better saying it, right? And, and you, like, it's a biblical curse, curse word, I guess, so it's under God's curse. So there you go. Uh, thorns and thistles, like maybe your job's hard and it's stressful, or maybe you're here this morning and you're being criticized and maybe even persecuted because you're a Christian, right? That's, that's going to come, I think, in our culture more and more. Maybe for you, your trial is there is a sinful temptation in your life that you battle and battle and battle and battle and you have accountability and you battle and you battle and you battle. In fact, it's on the verge of maybe even being an addiction and you're just wondering, man, am I ever going to overcome this sinful temptation, right? And, and Marty's sitting here in the front row and he leads our addiction class and we have handles for that, but, but maybe part of the journey is just you just got to get up every day and battle these temptations and walk in holiness and righteousness and it's a trial, it's a difficulty for you. And I'm convinced that part of the reason that God gives us these trials is so that we remind our hearts and minds not to sink our hopes and our roots too deep into this world. Amen? Like, we, it reminds us when we're in the middle of a trial, like, this world is indeed not my home, right? I, I'm indeed passing through. I have a season that God's left me here to do what he has me to do, to be on mission. But here's the deal, letter B. Like, here's what I think James is telling us. You will be tested by trials. They're coming. They're around us. They're with us all the way till the, our faith becomes sight. Jesus, we looked at this last week. We looked about at Jesus' prayer over the disciples in John 17, but kind of in the same teaching with the disciples in, in John 16, Jesus was, was very clear. He said, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, okay? So as we're in Christ, Christ gives us peace, but in the world you will have tribulation. Good news, right? You're going to have, and then he says this, it's kind of like Sean Brown, welcome to Coastal, right? But take heart, all right? Take heart, I have overcome the world, amen? And, and so trials are to remind us, man, I need to, with my heart posture and in my mind, I need to be worshiping Christ, knowing that my victory is in Christ because Christ has indeed overcome the world. I think it was our, our second song this morning that we sang about. God, thank you for preparing for me a heavenly home, that indeed this, this world is not my home. So you're going to be tested, and so we're continuing to work backwards on verse 2, knowing that testings and trials of various kinds will come. Point number three. We are to count it all joy, right? First two of James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kind, trials of various kinds. This is actually a command of James to Christians. This is an imperative, right? It, and I think this should let us know that, that, that counting it joy in the middle of a trial is not natural, right? It's it's supernatural. It, it requires the work of the Holy Spirit, but, but we are commanded to, to, to count it joy when we face a trial, which I think, letter B, requires the engaging of the mind, okay? If we're going to count it joy, Romans 12, we need a renewed mind 
so that when a trial comes, right, that it's now a thought process that I am now thinking differently about this difficulty, right? That I am now thinking, man, this, now how many of you, let's be honest, how many of you, the last time you got bad news, whatever it is, whatever, I went through a list of various trials, the last time a various trial came your way, you thought, this is awesome, I have an opportunity right in front of me, right? I can grow in Christ, and I can glorify God in suffering. How many of you did that, right? I struggled to do that as well, right? It's like when it immediately hits you, you're, you're like, man, what is this? Thorns and thistles. Doesn't it feel better just saying it? Like, now you, everybody's going to, the people at work think you're so weird, you start saying that out loud, but blame it on me. Um, so anyway, but yeah, like thorns and thistles. Now listen, active, and so we're to count it as joy. We're to count it, and we're going to talk about what that means, but count it as opportunity to grow in Christ and to, to be heavenly-minded and, learn, and, and, and to bring glory to God in suffering. But I would say this, active joy is not passive resign, okay? So it's not just we fold our hands, right, and, and go, well, it's just a bad thing. I guess bad things happen. Off we go with bad things. No, we, even in this fallen world, we're to be, for the glory of God, redeeming the world for goodness. And that's part of the glory that God brings. It's not passive design. Yes, indeed, all things will work together for good. And maybe in the next life, but in this life, we are still supposed to roll up our sleeves and go to work. All right? So, listen, you, you go to the doctor and you have a health issue, you should... Keep going to the doctor. If you have a grim diagnosis, keep fighting. Like, you should fight. But in that, knowing that no matter the result of the health fight, God is still working. God will still be glorified. And, and I have an eternal, secured home. We should keep fighting. It's not passive resign. If your financial situation is not all that you would hope it would be, listen, I'm a big believer that we should, as much as it depends on us, with God's total grace, the psalm says, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. But lesson, we should try to build wealth for the glory of God and use that wealth to fund the gospel if the Lord so, so allows. And so how do you do that? Like, produce something at your work, right? Amen, bosses? Like, there's only six bosses here. Yeah, like, show up and produce, right? And, 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 and build a skill set and enhance your skill set to become valuable and then make wise investments. Active joy is not passive resign. If your marriage is struggling, improve your marriage, right? Don't just like, oh, I guess it, it is what it is. Like, go get some counsel. We're here to help you bring spirituality into your home. Begin to pray about your marriage together. And if you need counsel, let's, Coastal's got counselors. We want to help improve your marriage. Improve your parenting. You know, get some parenting books and and work to be a better parent, to make disciples of Christ. It's not passive. Active joy is not passive re resign, okay? But active joy requires an, an eternal mindset. Active joy requires a theology that recognizes that God is winning, and God will win, and God will conquer all of his enemies. And Jesus modeled this mindset for us, okay? And, and I don't know if you know this, but Jesus, the scriptures are very clear that Jesus went to the cross with joy, actually, right? He suffered on the cross with joy. So check this out. It's actually found in Hebrews chapter 12. 
So Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, the great cloud of witnesses is Hebrews 11, where the author goes through what we often call the hall of faith, all these Old Testament saints that lived for the Lord, all right? So since we have this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin, okay? Active joy is not passive resign. Okay, we, we've got a race, we lay aside weights of sin and things that are encumbering us, and cl- sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. All right, so let me pause here. I want everybody to look at me for a minute, all right? The Lord Jesus has set a race before you, and 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 before me. And your race is not their race, is not their race, is not their race, is not my race, Okay. God has a race for me to run that he's using to shape me and to shape you, your race, into the glory and the image of God, and so that you you can bring glory to God and be more like Jesus Christ, but your race is not your race, okay? And what happens, and I get sideways on this, and you probably do too, what happens is when I take my eyes off my race and I start to look at someone else's race, right? And their race has a bigger house than my race, right? Their race is a bigger 401k. Their race has cooler kids kind of thing, right? Those kind of things. You're like, man, and, and God has not called me to run your race, and God has not called you to run my race. I am to run my race that God has given me, and I'm supposed to strip off the sin and the weights, and the weights are just the things of the world that entangle us, and we are to run it with endurance. That means that we have the long view in mind. And now, verse 2 says, and as you're running... And this, is, and this is where we actually are to look to Christ, who is in us, but also a model for us. We are looked to him as a model. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, did what, church? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, Okay? And so what does that mean? What was the joy that was set before Jesus? The joy that was set before Jesus is that the Father was saving through his work. So Jesus submits to the will of the Father. He, su- he lives a perfect life. He suffers and dies on the cross, a substitutionary death for my sin and your sin. He raises again bodily from the grave, authenticating his claims, and he did it. For the joy set before him, he submitted to the will of the Father, knowing that the Father was going to save all that he had pointed. And for all eternity, Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And Philippians 2, he has been exalted to the highest place of honor that now as Christians, we worship Jesus to the praise and glory of God the Father. And so what was the joy set before him? The joy set before him was that God was doing something greater through his submission to the will of the Father than he could even imagine, right? And so, and so how do we encounter various trials, which they are going to come? What does it mean? It means this. Number one, when you encounter a trial, God is fully and firmly in control. Amen? Amen. One of the things Pastor Andrew says all the time, is God not sovereign, right? So whatever you're facing... It didn't catch God off guard, all right? And so he sees what you're going through, even if it's difficult. And as we suffer and struggle during this process of enduring the trial and running the race set before us, we exude as Christians 
the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when we endure in this measure, God sees and God rewards. And we know that we will have all heavenly reward in Christ. That is the joy set before us, okay, and before Christ. Now, I'm going to give you a really practical word. Ready? Here it is. This is what I really believe joy is. You ready? Delayed gratification. You should write that down. That's really good, actually. I really believe that joy is delayed gratification, right? How many of you that are my age or older would like to go back to your 21-year-old self and say, listen, delay your gratification on the car you want to buy and put a little more in the 401k, right? How many of y'all would like to do that, like have that conversation with the 21? It works in finances. It works in sex and sexuality. You know, the Bible doesn't say you can't have sex. Actually, that's quite the opposite. Another sermon, another day. Um, It just says you need to delay your gratification until you say, I do. One woman and one man in the confines, the covenant relationship of marriage. Okay? Delayed gratification is the joy set before us, that we're heavenly minded, that God sees what we're going through. We can do it knowing that it's not an accident, and he sees and rewards. And this kind of mindset produces something. So the number four here. The first thing, that testing in this, this kind of mindset, it purifies our faith, James says. Okay? So he says, James 1, 3, for you know that the testing of your faith, the word here for testing is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's in 1 Peter, where Peter is talking about how metals are refined, right? So like if you took gold or silver and you dig it out of the ground and it's not purified at that point, so you heat it up in real hot fire and out comes the impurities of the gold and silver and they scoop that off the top. It's called dross, right? It's worthless. But what comes out of that testing of the fire is a purified gold. And so, and so in a similar manner, when you go through a trial, what is God doing? He's purifying your faith. And I'm going to talk about really what that means at the end here because James gives us a clue. What God is doing with you, are you ready for this? God is actually preparing you for eternal life. So the things that you're learning now is, is testing and refining you that you might learn the character of God and the righteousness of God, and he's preparing his children for all of eternity. So the first thing is, as we have this delayed gratitude, the joy set before me, that there's something better that's coming, promised by the resurrected Christ that I will share in his inheritance. So for the joy set before me, I know when I'm going through a trial, number one is purifying my faith and number two or point number five here that this testing of my faith actually produces something okay it produces steadfastness okay so james 1 3 for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness now steadfastness is is not meekness and it's not passive it it, it's it's staying power Steadfastness is a fortitude. It actually, this word actually has a hint of heroic endurance, right? One of the things that I've used this illustration before, um, but I think it fits here. You know, one of the things that discourages me as a pastor when it comes to American Christianity is how we sometimes really glorify 
um, uh, like celebrity Christians, right? Now, I'm going to throw this name, and I think this person, from the thousand-foot view that I'm at, I think they're a solid Christian. They follow Jesus and all that, but so I'm not trying to throw them under the bus, but it, it's a name we'll all recognize. Like, I call it the Tim Tebow effect, right? Like, we find out this celebrity becomes a Christian, we're like, oh, man, and they're all over Twitter, you know, and we're like, you know, whatever, Tim Tebow, it's so awesome, you know, and, uh, and I think he's a solid Christian, so as best I can tell. So I, I'm, not, I'm not throwing that particular person under the bus, but this idea of how we take a person in a culture that we don't even know and we elevate them, okay? And, and so, and it kind of discourages me a little bit because I want to tell you who my Tim Tebow's are. My Tim Tebow's are some of you. My, my, when, when you live in Christian community in a local church, and, and I know some of your stories, like I know that you're battling cancer. I just I just saw someone here this morning that, that COVID, 18, 13 or 18 weeks in the hospital, almost took their life, and here they are, they're worshiping this morning. And some of you have done the funeral for your children, and you're here and you're worshiping the Lord. Like you could have deconstructed, you could have said, you know what, this God thing is not for me. And instead, your faith has produced something. It's produced steadfastness. I've, some of you, you're here and you're without your spouse. Either they're not walking with Jesus or maybe they've passed and they've gone on to be with the Lord. And some of you are here and I know you're hanging on financially. And when God gives you a little bit of income, you still tithe and you still worship the Lord. And I look at you and I'm like, whoa, you are my Tim Tebow. I am so humbled and thrilled to worship the Lord alongside of you. And I stand here and I watch you singing praises to God. And I'm like, man, there's a person who's gone through a trial and their faith has endured and it's produced steadfastness. And I pray that for each and every one of you. And I praise God for you if you're here this morning worshiping the Lord alongside of me. Because trials produce something in us. John MacArthur pastor and author in his commentary that I read on this, and I don't have this in your notes. If you're a quick writer, you can write these down. He, he listed eight things that he sees in scripture that trials eventually produce in us, right? So I'll just go through them really fast because I think these are really good, right? First of all, trials strengthen our faith, right? So once you go through a trial, the next time that a similar circumstance comes up, you're like, oh, I've been there, done that, right? Like, man, I can, I can endure, and so it produces, it strengthens our faith. Number two, trials humble us and, and force us to depend on God. So trials humble us, right? I'm going to tell you something, uh, and I'm not going to give you all the details, but today I will as going forward because we're working them out. But I'm telling you, this Gloucester building, uh, behind the scenes, and so now it's public, behind the scenes, I'm like, this Gloucester project is going to be the death of me, okay? Like, it's just one curveball after the next, curveball, curveball. And when we went into this, I was like, man, this is like my third building project. Like, no problem, Right? It's humbled me. It's making me get on my knees and go, God, there are things happening here. I hope you're still praying about VDOT, right? Like, God, there are things happening here. We need you. I, I can't solve this, you know. I need you to do it. Trials humble us and make us pray and depend on the Lord. Number three, trials wean us off of dependence on worldly things. You know what? When I am in the middle of a trial, suddenly my roots don't sink so deeply in the things of earth. Amen? Man, the world and all this, like, suddenly it becomes less meaningful to me. Trials, number four, remind us, to, similar to number three, but help te teach us to have a heavenly hope. Trials remind me to be heavenly minded. 
man, I, I want to think about eternity, and I want to be living for eternity. Number five, trials reveal what we really love. Isn't that true? Like, trials reveal, like, what has really cr- captured my heart? Is it indeed Christ alone? Which, we're, which we sang, and we're going to close by singing this morning. Like, is my heart indeed captured in Christ alone? Or is it in Christ alone and my 401k? In Christ alone, and I hope my kids turn out okay. In Christ alone, and I hope I live to be 90. In Christ, whatever it is, right? Or is it indeed in Christ alone? Trials remind me to, to value God's blessings. So guess what? When I am going through a great time, right? I'm on vacation or whatever, and I'm like, you know what, God, I'm really, really thankful for this. Like this, thank you for providing good things in the midst of a broken world, right? Trials, number seven, help teach me to endure for greater usefulness. So in other words, we go through a trial, and and then God doesn't waste any hurts. He uses that to honor and serve him. And number eight, trials give us the opportunity to better help others, right? So once you've been through something, and then someone else is going through it, God can use that to use you to help them. Isn't that cool, right? So as you're getting ready to start the trial, right, the trial comes in, you're like, hey, man, this is a great opportunity to count it all joy, which we don't usually start there. But some point we get through it, and we're like, oh, and then you hear a friend in your small group, and you're able to go, hey, let me come alongside of you. I've been through that. And so trials do things. They grow us to be more like Christ. Number four, here we go. And here is the, James then goes on to say, here is the result of steadfastness, this kind of this heroic endurance, okay? Here's the result of steadfastness, is that we're perfect and complete, James says. James 1, 4. And let steadfastness, I said number four, it's number six. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, the idea here is not morally perfect. So when you read the word perfect, don't think now I'm morally perfect. That's not what James is talking about. Uh, so, you know, when we're not a Christian, before we're a Christian, the Bible teaches we're dead in sins. We're totally incapable of be- moral righteousness, right? And so the Holy Spirit does the regenerative work and awakens our soul, brings us new birth. So now that we're cap- then we're capable of repentance and faith. John chapter 3, we become a Christian, okay? And then once we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit then indwells us, and now we're in process of this thing called sanctification, where we're growing to be more like Christ, growing in more of the characters of God, growing in holiness and righteousness, and then one day, our sanctification and our faith will have its full and final reality. I always pray this, when our faith becomes sight, and when our faith becomes sight, we're with the Lord, and we will be glorified. And at that moment, we will be morally perfect. All of our sins will be completely gone. The process will be over. And now we are in the presence of God Almighty, and it will be incredible. James is not talking about being morally perfect. What James is talking about here is that when he says perfect and complete, he's saying that your faith is fully integrated into your life. Okay? So here's what this means. As we grow in Christ... This adopted worldview of Jesus has to begin to touch every area of our lives. So, so sometimes there's people, they become a Christian, and their faith has not been fully integrated. Maybe it hasn't yet been integrated into their dating life. 
And so we have to teach young people, here's what it means to be a Christian, here's how you date and holiness and impurity. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what it means for your faith to be integrated. Sometimes we have to grow in our generosity. Maybe you're not a giver yet, and you haven't seen the Lord provide when you give generously. And so your faith begins to touch that, and you begin to give generously, and you see the Lord provide. And faith begins to touch how we use our time and how we use it. And faith, as we grow, what does it look like as parents? And so trials and difficulties help us integrate our faith as we learn, oh, this is what it means to follow Jesus in fill in the blank, right? And so that we grow to be more spiritually mature, okay? So for those of you that struggle with patience, that's one of my things, I struggle with patience, right? But I I think I can look back on my life and go, man, I've grown incrementally through the years to be more patient to the glory of God. I don't know if my wife would agree with that, but I hope she would, right? Like, I've grown to be a little more patient, and and if I could, I'd take the 50 and none of your business age Sean, and I'd send him back to the 25-year-old Sean, and I'd say, listen, like, chill out a little bit. Like, it'll work out, right? And how many of y'all have seen, like, some incremental growth in some of your challenges? Anybody? Oh, six of you. Okay, so the six of us are seeing that happen, and, and, and like, right, and so that's the thing. Like, your faith is being integrated and touching all the areas of your life so that you're able to worship Jesus in all that you do, and you're learning that the world has less and less hold on your heart and on your joy and on your expectations and on your emotions, and you're growing to be more heavenly-minded. And let me tell you something. The more heavenly-minded you are, the more earthly good you'll do because the stuff of this earth has less hold on you and you're more generous with your time, talent, and treasure because you're like, I don't need all this stuff. I'm going to heaven where it's going to be amazing. Amen? And so we, be, we grow to do earthly good. Now, I want to finish with a story this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team up. And I want to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story of a woman that many of you will know uh, as I meant, when I mention her name, but I suspect most of you will not. She, uh, she became a member of our church about 22 years ago, 23, uh, I don't know, I can't do the math right now. Yeah, about 22, 23 years ago. I'm sorry, about 10 or 15 years ago. And um, I should have wrote it in my notes. Uh, so she began following the Lord later in her life. And um, she was one of the most joyful, I mean, honest to goodness, one of the most joyful people I've ever met, bar none, bar none. I wish I, wish I could bottle her joy and it would be a product that I could sell you, okay? I'd make, I'd make a fortune. Okay, so um, <clears throat> she was just so joyful. That doesn't mean her journey was easy. She had one of the most difficult journeys I've ever seen. When I first met her, she was diagnosed with cancer, an aggressive form of breast cancer, somewhere around 2010, 2012. She recovered, and uh, she spent several years cancer-free, thank the Lord. She lived in a really nice community in Yorktown until she became a victim of an elaborate fraud scheme, and she literally, literally lost everything, every penny she owned. In fact, when our staff was helping her move into a friend's house, we were loading her up into a back of a, if I could just paint this picture, she was, we're loading everything she owned into a tiny little pickup in front of this very nice York County house. And just the irony, and I looked at my staff member and said, can you even imagine what's going through her head right now as we're moving her out? 
she, um, while she's going through this horrible fraud scheme and losing everything, her cancer came back with a vengeance. And the doctor told her that she probably didn't have much longer to live. And since she didn't have anything and she needed some resources, Coastal, you guys actually helped take care of her. You probably didn't know this. You helped take care of her. And we gave her a job. She became our receptionist at the front desk. And um, by every earthly standard, she would have had every reason to complain and be miserable. Yet... Every single person that walked into this building was greeted with an incredible abundance of joy and encouragement. And if you interacted with this person, you were encouraged. You would have never known, actually, what she was going through. As I was meeting with her various times throughout her journey, it became evident to me that she had completely forgiven the person that committed the fraud against her. And at no point was she bitter about her cancer diagnosis. Some of you know this person. Martha Bennis went home to be with the Lord on February 5th, 2019. I can honestly say that I do not know many people who stared down death with such a quiet, peaceful resolve. Martha told me two weeks before she passed, when I asked her, how are you processing in your mind the idea that you're dying so young? This is what she said. I'm humbled that the Lord would want me home so soon. Who says that? I'll tell you who says that. A person who counts it all joy when going through various trials. A person whose belief in Jesus is so integrated, so perfect and complete that death Dying and poverty are mere opportunities to exalt and praise her Savior, Jesus. That's who says that. Within two weeks of Martha's passing, she had a conversation with Pastor Joey, who's now the pastor over at Deer Park, that still makes me chuckle. She met with Pastor Joey, and she expressed some disappointment in me. I was like... There's a growing line of people that are disappointed in me, so whatever, one more person. She said, Pastor Joey, you know, Pastor Sean didn't ask me what he always asks people when they're dying. And Pastor Joey said, what is it that he didn't ask you? And she said, he didn't ask me if I had any regrets. Now, here's what makes me chuckle about that. I've never come to anyone dying with cancer and asked them if they had any regret. I mean, what a weighty, horrible question to ask, right? Like, if he asked that question, I don't want him showing up, you know? But Martha had it in her mind. I was supposed to come and ask her if she had any regrets. So I didn't ask her that. And so Pastor Joey said, well, do you have any regrets? And so... Uh, she said, well, tell Pastor Sean my only regret is I wish I hadn't wasted so much time. I didn't start following Jesus Christ until I was 40. I wish I had started following him so much sooner. Now, church, that's joy. One day I asked her, I said, I talked to her about joy. I said, how do you exude so much joy every single day? And she said this, ready? She said, I get up every morning and I go to bed every night and I recite Philippians 4, 7. Here it is, ready? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so here's how I want to close this morning. How many of y'all grew up in a church that did a formal benediction? Raise your hand. Formal they, your church benedicted over you. Okay, so the word benediction means blessing. That's what it means. And so I was thinking about Martha and thinking about you guys and thinking about you being here this morning, worshiping the Lord with me. I know you're going through trials. I know you're going through difficulties. I certainly don't know them all, but I know many, many of what you're facing, and I'm just humbled to worship the Lord with you. And so I want to pray this prayer of benediction, and we're going to do it with our eyes open, right? A couple weeks ago, my daughter was like, you prayed with your eyes open. I said, I actually don't think the Bible says we have to close our eyes, but I could be wrong. Like, maybe that was a verse I'm missing. So I want you to pray with your eyes open, okay? Here it is. I'm going to benedict. I'm going to bless you guys. Ready? And so here it is. Church, may the peace of God guard your heart and your mind, and may you count your trials and your tests. As opportunities to grow in your faith, grow in your steadfastness, remain eternally minded as you endure suffering for the joy set before you. And may there be no wasted trials. And may each one of your trials be an opportunity to show off and glorify God's Son, Jesus Christ. That's my blessing over you. Amen. All right, I'm going to embarrass our prayer team. So prayer team, I want you to come up right now. Here's why I do this. I want you to go under the screens. Sometimes in the midst of your trial, you need someone to pray with you, right? And I don't, sometimes I wish you guys would take more advantage of this. Our worship team is here to pray with you that Christ would give you endurance, perseverance, and steadfastness and joy in the Lord you're going through a trial, never, never leave without having somebody close to pray with you. They want to. There's people in our prayer chapel on the way out. Now, I am going to bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to pray over you, and then we're going to go out singing and reminding our hearts that indeed, God, may our journey indeed be in Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's probably someone right now enduring a trial that I don't even know about. It's really weighty, and it's really heavy, and I pray, God, that they that you would give them perseverance and peace in Christ. God, that you would give them endurance and perseverance, that they would have heroic endurance, steadfastness to the glory and praise of Christ. God, we all get tests and we all get trials and may we walk out of here as your children counting it all joy. May we take our thoughts captive when they're running away with themselves and there's anxiety and worry and upsetness. God, may we take those thoughts captive and we run them through the truth of your word and through Christ. And then may we say, I'm going to count it all joy. I know there's delayed gratification. God sees, God rewards. And God, may you use these things to make us more like Jesus until the day that you call us home and our faith becomes sight. We praise you. We're going to stand here in the congregation and we're going to stand and we're going to praise and we're going to sing and we're going to say, we are going to do this journey through life in Christ alone. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's go out singing. Let's stand together.